The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. Our special We have a special edition of the podcast with a special guest, Paul Mitchell. And I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And we're and I'm John Howard. Did I say my own name? I can't remember. It's that special. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Moving right along. Today was a big day for people who follow politics and like you do, Paul, redistricting and numbers and all this stuff. And Kamala Harris has dropped out. What does that mean for the rest of the California field as we look at Super Tuesday? Are, are her voters going somewhere else? Well, okay. So that's a handful of questions. But the yeah. Um, so yeah, Kamala Harris dropped out today. Um, there were some people who have been saying for weeks that they were expecting her to drop out. There were a couple really negative articles, one yeah. by our friend uh, Chris Caldego, who uh, yeah. is at Politico, wrote an article that was really scathing article about the staff and management fights, and, and Juan Rodriguez, who works for Ace Smith and, and that firm, uh, and his management of the campaign out of the Baltimore office, and then Maya uh, Harris, um, I believe she has a different married list, I don't know, but her Kamala's sister, um, and the conflicts there, and even that that relationship with, with Kamala's sister even goes back to like the Senate campaign and and other staff conflicts. So there was all this stuff, just kind of like this yeah. this kind of gutting of the grievances within the Kamala Harris campaign, uh, first in Politico, and then uh, New York Times yeah. had another one yeah, that was kind of like story. a repeat of it. And it was, it was amazing on a couple fronts. Um, one is that uh, it really was dramatic sounding, right? You know, it was, you don't hear these kind of conflict stories coming out of a lot of campaigns. Um, and, and secondly, that these campaign staffers were knifing each other to reporters before the campaign had ended. I mean, this is the kind of thing that maybe we would have heard that she was dropping out and a week later there would have been some resignation letter that somebody released to the paper and and then people would be fighting with each other about why she dropped out or something. But this was seemingly premature. And I think... One common thread on that is that I saw so many quotes from campaign staffers, some uh, identified but most not, that went after Maya. Yeah. And I, it, it just seemed to me this is where the staffers are, you know, they're looking for future work down the road, and they're sort of pointing the finger at her. Is that, I mean, I don't know, is that justified or not? Was she really in control? See, I don't know enough about the internals of the Kamala Harris campaign. And yeah. I, know, I do know that the staff largely, the staff at the management level largely comes out of A. Smith's shop, SCN. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, I never saw quoted Lafonza Butler. Oh, no. Um, and you saw Juan Rodriguez, who was one of the staffers that keeps getting blamed for stuff. Yeah. He never said anything negative about any of the other staff or about Kamala's sister. Um, I think that uh, Lafonza Butler, uh, who is part of that team, uh, was never quoted or he seemingly like none of these barbs were coming from yeah. that side. That's right, um, actually. Didn't they just... It's not SCN anymore. It's... Is it SCRB or yeah, SCRB Butler's or added to it. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Newman's Rodriguez. gone. Yeah. So yeah. So it's yeah. But the um, uh, so the other thing I think that was 
surprising, at least to me, is that this kind of like implosion, if not among, among like kind of in the discipline of the campaign and this but this implosion of the campaign itself, uh, kind of from the management through, mm-hmm. um, seemed really, really premature in the sense that Kamala Harris, yes, she was in single digits in our California polling and in national polling. Yeah. Um, but it's not like she was in single digits in a race against one or two other people who were at 35 and 40%. She was at single digits in a race where any given day the front runner might be at 15 or 17%, yeah. maybe 22%. We've seen some polling every once in a while where somebody will get up and touch like a 27 or a 30 or something like that percent. But right now our, our polling that we're doing, our tracking poll for California Capital Weekly um, – there's a poll that's in the field right now that'll be coming out, and you'll be reporting on it, John, in uh, a couple of days, I presume. Uh, it looks like a four-way race where nobody's at 20%. Uh, it, this is still looking at the partials, so we don't have all the data in. But um, when you're in a 16-way race, and you've got four candidates all splitting up at like 17, 18, 20%, and you're at nine or seven or six, you have life. That means that you get a 5% bump for some viral thing or for something yeah. that happens at the next debate. You are now among the front runners again. It is, a, it is a very different scenario than, let's say, O'Malley was in the 16 race. Where O'Malley at 5 6 or 7% against Bernie and Hillary was a nothing burger. But Kamala Harris or you know maybe... Bloomberg will take this role now of being kind of the leader of the second tier. But a second tier candidate or a leading second tier candidate is literally within touching distance of being the front runner. Does the money that Bloomberg has, does that, will that make a, a difference here in California? California's had several candidates I can think of, statewide candidates. Al Checky was one. Meg Whitman was another one. Um, Jane Harmon, I think, was one a mm-hmm. while back. But... They have lots of money. Would that would Bloomberg's dough make a difference here in California? Is does he, is he going to capitalize on her on Kamala dropping out? So it's interesting because the Twitter class and the political class and a lot of people who are involved in politics kind of gave this general scoffing to the Bloomberg candidacy when it when it first was announced, almost like the Howard Schultz candidacy was. I mean, Howard Schultz kind of like ran for a blip and uh, kind of got laughed out of the political environment um, when he was looking at running as an independent. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't dismiss the power of essentially being the only one spending money on TV and what's otherwise a TV ad vacuum from this primary. How and, much is, do you know how much he's spent in California? Oh, I... We can look it up, but it's, you know, I think that he's budgeting like $10 million in California right now. 30 is the goal, I think, over a few weeks. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I would expect that he could spend $100 million in California. Is it okay to skip all the early stuff? Which we're we're going to find out. I mean, that's his theory of the case is that when you look at it, uh, you know, on, on February 3rd, Iowa is going to have 150000 or so. Uh, people go to caucuses that night. Uh, we're going to have in California 15 million ballots being mailed out that same day. Um, the amount of delegates we have in California could make up 20% of what you need to actually win the Democratic nomination. 
um, the amount of votes that are available on Super Tuesday so surpasses all the early states. It's just the early states after Super Tuesday, those early state delegates become a blip. And just now, for just for clarification, do you know off the top of your head who what the other early states are? Excuse me, what the other Super Tuesday states are this year? Oh yeah, so the super well, oh the other Super Tuesday. Well, first off, we've got the four pro- early primary states: is Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and then the Super Tuesday states includes California and Texas and Georgia, and then Florida is like right after Super Tuesday, like yeah. March seventeenth. California, Texas, and Florida, I think, could almost be the ball game for yeah. I mean, the with someone. in that early March, you're basically like there's going to be so many delegates allocated. So the question is, can Bloomberg skip those early states? Well. Let's explore for a second why those early states matter. Those early states matter because of the earned media that comes out of winning those early states. For some front runner to win Iowa, then somebody else maybe wins New Hampshire, and then somebody else mm-hmm. wins South Carolina. They are getting earned media. And there's a dollar value to that. That is just extraordinary large dollar value to that. Can Bloomberg replace that with his own cash? Can Bloomberg essentially buy enough media to offset the media bump that comes from campaigns who are doing it this more cost-effective way of like winning some early media yeah. in early mm-hmm. states? So the can it be done? You'll hear a lot of people say, oh, it can't be done. It's never been done. But, I mean, what is our N? When we talk about polling, the N in the poll is how many samples you have. So an N of... 300 or an N of 500 people or an N of 1,000 people in a statewide poll becomes really meaningful. If I gave you a poll that was, here's an N of seven examples of what seven people said in a poll, you'd laugh me out of the room. But that's what a lot of people do with elections. They say, well, you know, in the last seven elections, that's never happened. You know, or in the last 15 presidential elections, that's never happened. Just because it's never happened doesn't mean that it can't. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the big question is whether or not Bloomberg can buy enough TV uh, in order to offset the free media that's earned by campaigns that win early primary states. So where is he in comparison to Steyer, who's been spending money and spending plenty of money in other states? So Steyer is right now at like 9% in some of the early state polling with the last morning consult poll. Um, So he has continually kind of grown his percentage with TV spending. Um... I haven't seen enough polling as to where Bloomberg's coming in this late stage. But in California, Steyer hasn't been spending nearly as much money as he's been spending in Iowa and other places. And so um, I would expect that when we have our poll come out um, in a few days, that Steyer will still be in that 1% to 2% range in California. Um, But Bloomberg and his spending will have him, you know, in our 5% or more uh, area and probably be at like the front of the second tier where you've got a first tier that's Sanders, Biden, Warren, Buttigieg. I mean, literally like you could put a blanket over the four of those. I think they're going to be so close to each other. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the top of the second tier being Bloomberg. Well, so the polling you've been doing includes Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris. It, well, that's the catch is it did until today. Right, like we, so, had to, we were halfway through the study, and we had to take her out of the poll. So we're going to have a big asterisk next well, to Kamala Harris's number. And so here's a big question: I'm sure is on everybody's mind. Where are Kamala Harris voters going to go? So our poll in November, we asked, we asked after you did the battery of who are you supporting for president? There was a who is your second choice, and um, Kamala voters' second choice, forty five percent of them were Elizabeth Warren. 
We also had another question that is kind of a leading indicator question. Uh, who do you want to learn more about, right? Because that doesn't say, like, who are you going to vote for, but it does sig- signify, like, what direction, who's caught your attention, and it's kind of like maybe a precursor of potential future support. Mm-hmm. And 31% of people that supported Kamala Harris wanted to learn more about Pete Buttigieg as the top vote-getter. Mm-hmm. And t- Pete Buttigieg was in second place for Kamala Harris voters for their second choice. So, um, but there is, yeah. So So Sanders and Biden were just picking up the leavings. So what's interesting is I think Biden already took a lot out of Kamala Harris. I think a lot of the people who, uh, in our earlier polling, Biden was the first choice of Kamala Harris supporters or first option of second choice. So when you ask Kamala Harris supporters who their second choice is, Biden was first you know, going back from our survey starting in March, April and going through. Um, there was a period of time where Elizabeth Warren was first um, among Kamala Harris voters. But it seems pretty as though... Pretty so. She had a yeah. pretty good number. So, um, uh, but right now, like, who's left with with Elizabeth Warren at, or with Kamala Harris as of November? Well, I'm just it saying... It was Elizabeth if, Warren that they wanted to go to. Okay, yeah. What was the, the trajectory for uh, Kamala Harris? She launches her campaign, I think, Almost a year ago, uh-huh. in January, right? And she has this incredible turnout in Oakland, 22,000 people, maybe even more. Uh, she had about as good a launch as you could see. You know, but yeah. over time, with the exception of some, uh, some bumps she got from the Senate with Sessions, Jeff Sessions in the Senate and during the debate, yeah. when she went after Biden. But with yeah. her, her trajectory generally was either flat, up a little bit, but generally down. And I wondered... What do you see? What was wrong with her campaign going forward, or what? Or was there anything wrong with it? Was it a question of something else going on? So, um, first off, there's always this question of what contributes to this, you know, to this success in a political campaign like this, yeah. especially in these early stages. Whether it's entirely the candidate and the message, or whether it has to do with like organizational structure and management. I think that organizational structure and management doesn't impact the campaign at like this phase of the campaign. What manage what affects the campaign is the the message, the candidate, and the public's perceptions. Um, the uh, the trajectory was that she came out of the gate super hot and um, rose straight into a top tier candidacy. Um, seemed to have a lot of. Uh, um, excitement around her and her performances at Senate hearings were obviously extremely helpful mm-hmm. and burnishing among the Democratic electorate's mind that this is a woman who's tough and, you know, is somebody who could kind of, as she had put it, prosecute the case against Trump. Is that is that a danger to do this too quickly and peak? You've got a marathon. Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, nobody nobody says, I wish I wasn't at 20%, you know, but... Yeah. Um, uh, you take it when you can get it, I guess. Um now, there's, I think there was a theory of the case for Kamala Harris, which was, um, which hasn't borne out, which was that she could do well enough in Iowa and New Hampshire, just kill it in South Carolina with the African-American vote, do really well in Nevada because it's kind of California adjacent, uh, and then like win California, do well in other states that are Super Tuesday with high African-American vote. And we saw like a pathway for her driven largely by the strength in the African-American vote, that had not ever materialized for her or Cory Booker, both of whom kind of, I think, suffered in their um, electability 
the way they were being perceived and how electable they were because African-Americans were not coalescing behind either their campaigns or sticking with Biden, who's kind of the trusted, you know, uh, candidate. Uh, same problem has hampered Julian Castro's campaign. I think a lot of people, like myself included, looked at these early states and said, okay, Nevada, California, Texas, Florida, there's this path for a Latino candidate um, yeah. in the early mm-hmm. primaries. I even called it the Southwest primary because you could hit a bunch of these states with Southwest Airlines and, you know, <laughs> bang out some Latino support. Uh, he has not been able to... And Castro's not even in the next debate. No, he's not, not right, as of right now. Yeah. In fact, the next debate's going to be an all-white affair. We're going to have a white Christmas early, <laughs> uh, December 19th. Um, See, I told you it was quotable. Yeah. I told you. Okay. So, um, but then there's this other thing, and I think it's important to talk about it, even though I think some people uh, have trouble kind of like digesting or figuring this out. And that is... Um, you know, she has talked about the challenges of running as an African-American woman in the presidential contest. And I think there, there is a lot of truth to that. Um, I think there are a couple things at play. One is, I think a lot of voters look at this presidential field and they might have their candidate. We wrote an article about this for Capital Weekly. They might have their candidate. They, they would love to see you be successful. But they're, oh, I feel like the safer vote is to vote this other person because yeah. they're kind of playing political pundit in their head, you know? It's kind of Biden's strength, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Biden's strength is that her perceived electability is even greater than his passionate support because that's who their first choice is, right? Um, and the second thing is that um, I think in politics, as in a lot of other arenas, um, there's kind of a double standard for women and potentially even more so for women of color. And... Um, uh, I've seen it really succinctly described as, uh, you know, we judge men by their potential and we judge women by their achievements. Mm-hmm. And it's an unequal playing field. So had Kamala Harris been the mayor of South Bend, who, you know, could give a great speech and... Spoke uh, eight languages. Yeah, and spoke, you know, yeah, spoke a bunch of languages and had this little interesting narrative. Uh, I don't think that she would have been a top-tier candidate. Um, and conversely, Pete Buttigieg doesn't have to be a attorney general for the largest state in the country and a senator and, you know, or have other higher experiences yeah. in order to become a front, a top tier candidate. Uh, a lot of people, um, are viewing Pete Buttigieg based on what they're imposing on him as his potential, right? And, um... That's a double standard that I think harms candidates like uh, Kamala Harris. Now, um, you know, she's going to come back to California. She's going to be the junior senator. I think she's got an amazing future. I think the people who worked on her staff, they're going to have a presidential campaign under their belts, and they're going to be able to be successful. So I don't think that uh, I'm going to get involved in kind of like the hating the player debate about, you know, ripping on her campaign or her staff. Um, that's you know, our job. That, yeah, yeah, well, let somebody else do that. And another question. So now she's got a certain core constituency that have supported her so far, are very disappointed that she dropped out. She at some point will endorse, I would assume, probably before before we get to mm-hmm. the, uh, the convention. But how much does an endorsement from someone like Kamala Harris, who had, whatever, 6% or so in the polls... Is that really going to make or her six percent going to listen to that, or are they just going to go on their own? Well, it depends. I think that that would be a 
massive endorsement for somebody to get Kamala Harris. Um, sure, she was only at 6%, and it's not like you get endorsed by Kamala Harris and she just flips a switch and all the Kamala, the K-Hive all goes and supports that candidate, right? The K-Hive. Um, so, um, you know, and it's... And there are some candidates that would benefit from it more than others, obviously. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't think that she's... Let's be honest. You know, in California, we know that she hasn't been kind of a risk-taking kind of elected official. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been rather cautious politically, and so I don't see her rolling out and tomorrow mm-hmm. endorsing yeah. somebody, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Mary Ann Williamson's going to have to wait for that endorsement in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a joke. Uh, so um, It's actually Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, God. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, when it comes out, I mean, I can't think of a, a, you know, a better current endorsement to come other than from like. We're Obama gonna have a greatly reduced debate stage now, right? I think we've got six white know. people. Yes, but we've got n- numerically. I mean, it's way mm-hmm. down. So it gives whoever's on that stage is gonna have a little more time to talk. We don't know about Booker, Gabbard, and Yang. They haven't they haven't qualified yet. But it looks like this the debate stage is going to be smaller. So does or that Castro. help each well, of them? Castro didn't even yeah. make, didn't even make yeah. the, uh, the did, did, So does that mean that people, uh, do they shine in a different way now, nationally on a debate? And we're getting close now. This December 19th, it's coming up. So this is getting pretty close. There's, can you handicap that in some way? Who's going to do well and who's not going to do so well, do you think? Well, um, I think that, you know, what's first off, Again, let's be honest, there's a little bit of an unequal expectations game for each of these candidates, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Joe Biden has to not make a big mistake. And just being there is is going to, I think, keep his supporters with him. Um, among that field, there are still people who are considerably kind of second-tier candidates, like... A Steyer or a um, wait. Steyer is in the next debate. Yeah, he's in the next debate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Steyer and Klobuchar are very clearly kind of the second tier candidates there. Um, and uh, yeah, Bloomberg's not even going to be on the debate stage. Right. Um, so if if you were to kind of game this out, I would say that uh, Joe Biden's expectation is that he. His his expectations are pretty low, so he has to just not make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are in interesting positions because it does seem as though kind of the electorate is, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of going between those two candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're kind of splitting the same voters in that same lane. Um, but the momentum doesn't seem to be there right now. Elizabeth Warren has kind of come back down to earth. Although I will say I'm... I personally was very surprised to see Sanders rebound so strongly after his heart attack. And he was, I mean, he dropped, what, five points in a week. And now he's back up from that and probably the strongest point he's been in four or five months, I think. It took me like two years to fully recover from my two stents. (laughs) So I wish I was, I wish I was that well. (laughs) You ride a bike. I I think you needed to have AOC endorse you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, So, uh, but yeah, also looking at this, Klobuchar is somebody who I think uh, could really benefit from this next debate. Um, and Tom Steyer, they're the kind of the two second-tier candidates that are going to be on that stage. Um, well, Steyer barely even spoke on the last debate, didn't he? I mean, he was 
Well, Yang, really was the, Yang got the fewest speaking moments, um, but yeah, Sire didn't have as many. And I think in this coming debate, they'll probably still balance out so that kind of the top tier candidates are the ones that get the most speaking time. Do we know if there are any other debates planned before California does its voting? It's vote by oh, there's going to be. I know there's going to be. I just don't know off the top of my head when they are. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It would likely be after the first of the year, though, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to have one after December 19th before yeah. sometime in January. They'll have some debates. Um so the top candidate, by the polling that you're working on now, the top yeah. four sort of kind of clumped together. Mm-hmm. That top tier is clearly a top tier, and the rest are also rounds. Is that right now, number numerically? Yeah, so, you know, the we've seen the polling kind of shifting a lot in terms of the, the top of the field. I, I think a one big kind of impact was Sanders dropping a lot after his heart attack. We did a poll shortly after yeah. that. Um, where I think Elizabeth Warren sucked up a lot of his voters. Yeah. Um, then, uh, you know, she almost went, it looked like she was really breaking away before the last debate when Pete Buttigieg went after her for, you know, you have a plan for everything, but you don't have a plan for how to pay for your health care. And when she came out with her health care plan, especially, and I don't know how much this was covered, but, you know, she essentially adopted a, a Medicare for all who want it version of her own plan. And um, it does seem that in national polling, and it looks like in our current polling, uh, she's come kind of back down to the pack. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Sanders has, you know, sticking around voters. Um, Buttigieg has sticking around money, right? Buttigieg has enough money that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. He's still having on pace to have really good fundraising. And Sanders has so many, this built-in base of support, even if his floor is, you know, 10 or 12% or something like that, um, you know, he's not going anywhere. Does that um, mean we have some sort of brokered convention? I mean, if all these people well, have that's going to be same- an interesting thing. Yeah. I'll say right now that uh, I think we're going to have a brokered convention. Mm-hmm. However, there's Which, a big asterisk. When was the last time that happened? Well, there's a, there's a big asterisk, and they changed the whole goddamn rules. Right. So superdelegates are going to be on the second ballot. So when they say like, oh, it's going to second ballot means essentially like a broker convention or something like that. Um, the second ballot used to be like, oh, shit, chaos. Like you wouldn't even have a second ballot um, this year. There's almost guaranteed that you're going to have a second ballot because we have so many candidates. So splitting up the vote, nobody's going to have enough delegates to win out right on the first ballot, and it's going to come down to at least the superdelegates. Um, and you could expect... As That's going to go over really well. Yeah. I can just tell you yeah. right now. Yeah, it is going to go over really well. Superdelegates, we mean pe- party officials, uh, people who have been around a while, political pros. Yeah, I mean, it's it's statewide electeds and party yeah. you know, functionaries. And um, uh, they took them out of the main population of delegates that are on the first ballot... Um, kind of in response to the pushback from Bernie people and Hillary and stuff. So what is weird is now they've put them in a, on this, they can vote on the second ballot, and kind of instituted this process that is actually going to exacerbate this sure. sense of Make them like, tiebreakers, basically. Well, yeah, and if, if uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard wins on the first ballot, <laughs> but she doesn't have enough votes, and then Marianne Williamson wins on the second ballot, everybody's going to blow their minds away because, uh, um, you know, the superdelegates could potentially uh, take somebody who was not the plurality winner on the first ballot and launch them into the presidency. I thought the plan was that they were just going to 
bring in Hillary Clinton and vote for her as the kumbaya candidate. You're not supposed to tell anybody. Is this being oh, recorded? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. This is the big media conspiracy. Yeah, yeah no, nobody's supposed to know that. So California this time around actually has a role to play and actually will likely make a difference. That's been a debate here for 20 years about, oh, move it up, move it back. It's not going to matter. This time it matters. Right? Well, you know, the, the, the difference is that we're guaranteed to have a spot in the kind of calling of the candidates that are going to make it after Super Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and uh, what we're being robbed of is this potential, it's a gamble, that we could be kind of like the decision maker uh, in June uh, when, you know, it really comes down to it. Mm-hmm. it, it and when we used to have our primaries. Yeah, and it could be ironic. I mean, we could find ourselves coming out of June and we've got three candidates who are all basically tied and people start saying, ah, oh, I wish we had our primary now. We could like break up this tie. Um, so we'll see. But the, there's also the delegate allocation stuff in California and the proportionality of it to remind listeners we did an article on this. Um, but, uh, you know, if you don't get 15% of the vote statewide, you don't get any of the statewide allocated delegates. The congressional district allocated delegates Similarly, you have to make 15% in order to get any of those delegates. There's anywhere from four to seven or eight, I think, is it Nancy Pelosi's district, um, delegates allocated per congressional district. And you walk into that congressional, that, that congressional district, essentially it's all 53 standalone races at, at, for the presidential primary. And if you get 15%, you're guaranteed delegates. In a six-way race, we might be heading into a six-way race or something like that coming into March. You could see plenty of situations where those delegates are almost equally split up mm-hmm. among yeah. multiple candidates. And we could walk, walk out of California where, you know, yes, uh, Marianne Williamson won California, but, um, uh, you know, maybe you better stop saying that. four or five delegates. You know, you say it three times in a mirror and it happens. <laughs> Um, so they all go unallocated to the convention, is what you're saying? No, they they go they go allocated to different de- candidates, but they um, but it's you know we've got 495 delegates, 416 are going to be allocated on Super Tuesday. The rest are super delegates, and of those 416, it might be 104, 103, 101, and 100 and whatever left. And over. they could the person who won California at 25 percent is getting three more delegates than the person who came, came in second in, at 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is that, that that. And so one of the interesting things is that as I've talked to folks that are doing some of this de- delegate math, the goal of each presidential campaign, it should be to go into a congressional district and hit that 15 percent and then go to the next congressional district. Mm-hmm. Because the difference in delegate allocation from 15 to 40% might be one delegate. Whereas if you can get 15% in the neighboring district, you might get f- two delegates or three delegates. So hitting that 15% threshold to get you qualified to start getting these delegate allocations, delegate all- allocations is, is more important than kind of sweeping a congressional district. Can you so, do that by buying a lot of TV time? Yeah, I mean, I think what is interesting is cable is probably the best opportunity for candidates. I don't know nationally that they know that in California. Yeah. But I think that that's one of the advantages that Ace Smith and his team would have had if Kamala had stayed in the race, is they know how to slice and dice the state up in cable markets and do their TV ad buys kind of in this regional sense and targeted. And then also doing digital field and other kind of and mail strategies that can be targeted so that if you are Pete Buttigieg, we have a number of congressional districts in the state that were drawn using data that, that 
our my company redistricting partners created for Equality California around creating the most concentration of LGBT populations in in these congressional districts. And then MALDEF and other groups, uh, you know, maximize the Latino voting power in certain districts. And there's even congressional districts where the Asian voting power is greatest. So if you, um, you know, are one of these campaigns and you can figure out which congressional districts are your best targets, you could go in with a lot of targeting data. And instead of running in a state that's, you know, 40 million people, 20 million voters, you could be running in, you know, three congressional districts that's, you know, much more manageable, you know. Um, you know, you could have a three congressional district area with 20 or 2.1 million voters, uh, 2.1 million residents, and, you know, uh, a million and a half voters as opposed to running statewide and still walk out of California with nine or ten delegates. Part of the goal, I think, of some of these campaigns is that they have to come out of Super Tuesday and be on that CNN board, right? Mm, CNN yeah. is going to have a board that says, how many delegates do you have? And Andrew Yang has got to have delegates in order to, you know, sure. have, have a yeah. voice at the, con- at the convention. Let's suppose, just a final question, but um, suppose our next president or next Democratic nominee is on that stage on December 19th. It's one of those contenders, mm-hmm. one of those candidates. Who would the vice presidential pick? What are the likely vice presidential picks be for one of those people. Someone who doesn't look like any one of those people. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, honestly. So you're uh, a female and black person of color or female I or think, both, depending on who's up. I think Democrats need to have somebody who will uh, help motivate and turn out people of color and and not be a all-white you know, yeah. slate for. I would um, be yeah. I would be shocked if they don't have yeah. someone on the ticket that reflects what most Democratic voters look like. Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, Julian Castro, the other Castro, um, you know, uh, or Eric what, Garcetti, or frankly, one of the other Cory Booker. Cory Booker. I mean, yeah. Cory Booker seems like a great Kevin DeLeon. You heard it here first. Um, Kevin was actually on Hillary Clinton's list. Really? No kidding. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Damn, he was so close. He, he was, was so close. close. He was um, so close to not getting that job. <laughs> hey, maybe he would have turned it around, you know? Yeah. Maybe he would have helped us win Michigan. Yeah. Um, you, Tim Kaine, right? That was Tim Kaine, yeah. Tim Kaine, you know, and he's now one of the front runners in this presidential race. Oh, sorry. No. That's alternate universe. <laughs> yeah, alternate universe. Um, uh, Stacey yeah. Abrams is a name. We've talked about this a lot. Like a Biden Stacey Abrams ticket. There was a lot of time. Or maybe about. a Warren. Julian Castro or David uh, um, Gillum Andrew Gillum Andrew that Gillum, name yeah, bounced yeah. around yeah. a lot yeah um, you know when Biden announced there was some rumors that he yeah. was going to announce that he was like right out the gate Stacey Abrams was going to be my yeah. VP um, that would have been interesting yeah. uh, Kamala Harris being uh, his VP would be interesting as well it was funny as she I was, could smack him from the right from the podium well when she did that line of you know that was me yeah. uh, I was at KCRA and we were all kind of sitting around this table watching it together me and Kevin and and Roger Salazar and and everybody was just like oh that moment and somebody said well she's not going to be as VP and I was like uh, that's not true like <laughs> look at how Bush treated Reagan look at how yeah. look at prior presidential debates where you had you know, the future VP kind of attacking or undercutting the eventual nominee. Um, I wouldn't 
flinch if yeah. uh, if Biden selected Kamala Harris to be the VP. Okay. Paul Mitchell, thank you very much. You're not flinching, I can tell. Thanks for joining us today. Tim Foster, thank you. Sure, thank you. And this is John Howard. We will see you next time around. Thank you.